As a Gen Y, I rarely check my mailbox. Thankfully though, I did when it came to the airbag recall notice. Welcome to episode 12 of Keeping Up the Consumer Law. My name's Joel Greger. Joining me as always is my co-host, Joel Lisk. G'day. G'day. Good to see you, Lisk. Welcome back to the country. Oh, thank you. It's nice to be back in Australia. It's nice to see you here, finally. I, I feel like you spent more time overseas than uh, on, on ground lately, so good to, good to have you. Right, uh, we are talking about product recall this week. Before we do so, quick thanks, as always, to the Law Foundation of SA for the financial support of the show. Uh, if you're enjoying it, let us know. Go to our socials, chuck us a follow on Facebook, Instagram. Where else are we? LinkedIn, I think Twitter. Right. We're going to keep moving on now. We are doing a topic shift. So we have covered misleading or deceptive conduct. We've covered the consumer guarantees. We've handled some questions to some experts. We're now back on deck. The next few episodes, we're going to be going through a few different topics. Yeah, This week, we're talking about the safety of goods. Uh, We then move on to unfair contract terms. And then finally, I get a crack at pyramid schemes. I'm looking forward to that one, Lisk. Yeah, I have no idea about pyramid schemes. So it's all up to you on that front. Uh, look, the only thing I know about pyramid schemes is from the multiple pictures I've received from people. So I'm looking forward to that one. Uh, now, though, we are talking about safety of goods. Now, this is something that you spend a bit of time on, isn't it, Lisk? Oh, used to at least, but safety is incredibly important, of course. Got to be safe. So how does the ACL deal with the safety of goods, Lisk? It's relatively straightforward, actually. Um, we all expect our goods to be safe. And when we buy them, we don't expect them to hurt us or injure us. And the ACL essentially puts that into law. It sets a whole bunch of um, standards for the safety of goods. It creates a default position that goods should be safe for consumers to use. Um, And it's pretty much there as a pure consumer protection matter. There is nothing really there that protects business. The idea of it is that businesses should only be selling goods that are safe and are not likely to cause injury during their use. And from there, it does a whole bunch of other things. It links a manufacturer to the goods they produce for the sake of liability. So if something goes wrong, the manufacturer is is liable for that. Um, The ACCC federally is charged with some responsibility along with different state and territory authorities. That's, you know, like consumer and business services here in South Australia. Um, And, you know, you tend to see it actually operate under a bit of a different name nationally, which is uh, Product Safety Australia, which is essentially a brand the ACCC operates in. So there's this really broad framework that covers a whole range of different things. But the idea is these laws together operate to ensure that goods are safe uh, for consumer use. So there's a bit going on um, and the, the technical detail, there's a lot to it. And it's a really an important area for manufacturers and retailers to be aware of because there's a few landmines here and there. Um, but it does its job relatively well. Cool. Yep. So super important. Also super detailed. Can you give us the, uh, the, the the nutshell version of it? Yeah. So there is a lot of detail in the Australian consumer law um, and it does that through different things. So it allows for the imposition of mandatory safety standards for different types of products. It also includes abilities to impose temporary or even permanent bans on certain goods because they present a risk to consumers. And there's also a really um, thorough and detailed regime and process in place for Um, compulsory and voluntary recalls of goods. Now, the triggers for recalls, which is what we're going to talk about in a a bit more detail in a moment, is generally where there's a risk of harm through the use of a product um, or a degree of misuse. 
So one, a couple of the sections of the ACL and um, buried in section 128. So that's the voluntary recall stuff. No more detail of section numbers from there. But the idea is that you might be required to commence a mandatory recall where a good will or may cause an injury to a person, including the operator or another person, or a reasonable foreseeable misuse or use of that product could also cause an injury. So it's really quite broad there. So you could have to start a recall for, you know, if you're um, trying to think of a good example, like if your toaster is going to explode on you, and it's going to re- regularly do that due to a manufacturing default uh, defect. Um, that could be a recallable object because there's a there's a serious risk of injury. But also, you think about other things. So I think there's a lot of kids' toys that have been recalled over time because even if it's been misused in a certain way, so it's not its ordinary use, but it's just that little bit further. There's a risk of harm to to kids. So the idea again is to protect consumers. Yeah, it's, it's that type of use foreseeable that it might pop up as a misuse, but a common use of it. Yeah, I like to think about it as like you've got your 100% usage, like this is the 100% of circumstances it's intended to be used for. And you need to then think about like the extra 30% either side of that. Like what are the additional things that aren't going to, that don't, aren't really the intention, but there's the risk they'll be used in that way. Yeah, I mean, I'm a big believer in using things for multiple purposes. So uh, this is probably really looking after me as much as anything else. Well, it's looking after everyone, isn't it? <laughs> so you were trying to think of a good example before. I've got a good example that comes to mind. Mercedes. What does Mercedes have to do with this, Lisk? Well, yeah, um, Mercedes and I think a whole bunch of other car manufacturers have been caught up in recalls in recent years. Um, and- I don't know of many many vehicles that weren't caught up in this one it seemed to be that most of the fleet on the road uh yeah. got got a little letter in the mail so i think a lot of us might know um i think it was starting in about the mid 2010s um there were some incidences across across the world actually where um some airbags in some cars were found to be a little bit um too explosive in how they deployed i think is the best way of describing it yeah i think it was it was it was less pillow hitting you and, and more shrapnel hitting you yeah, so the chemical composition of the um, the kind of explosive charge that deploys the airbag was so explosive that it actually would cause the, the housing of the airbag and a few of the, um, the th- bits around it to actually break apart its housing and, and, project, and, and throw projectile shrapnel into the person who's in the seat. And that's not really what the airbag's there for. It's kind of probably there as the cushion, not as the metal flying at your face. Um, and it's kind of the exact opposite of what you're trying to do, isn't it? It is. And what ended up happening is there were a couple of instances where people were incredibly seriously injured as a result of um, kind of this explosive nature of the airbag. Um, and a couple of people died because of it across the world. So mm. um, I think most of us would know this as the Takata airbag recall program. And it turns out this one manufacturer, um, I think based in Asia, produced so many airbags that were used by so many different vehicle manufacturers that it caused uh, a worldwide recall program involving approximately a hundred million cars um that's I mean, a lot just to just yeah and, and just as far as how many they produced i'm pretty sure the recalled replacement on my car got replaced at one point like i was onto the third airbag in in one of those vehicles <laughs> yeah well when you start to have to manufacture twice as many because you've got to replace all your existing ones plus maintain your existing orders i can imagine it's not great but um when this all started uh, in Australia, 
there were some instances of serious injuries um, and one death linked to the airbag program. So that then also resulted in a, a mandatory recall process starting here in Australia. Um, that process involved nearly 3 million vehicles across the road. So that's, again, that's a lot of cars. Like what, there's 20 mil- 25 million Australians. If you estimate that um, everyone has a car, that's, that's still a good chunk of the population whose cars need to, to be replaced. Oh, particularly those toddlers driving. Yeah, well, you want to protect everyone. Um, and so as part of this, um, they used a mandatory recall process. So there's a couple of different versions of recalls. Like one is a is a voluntary recall where the manufacturer or the retailer of a good identifies a problem and goes, you know, we think there's a problem here. We're going to we're going to bring all of the, that product back. Um, we're going to refund consumers or replace things or fix something because we've identified a problem. The mandatory recall is the next level. That's where the regulator or even the minister steps in to go, there is a systematic, serious and and real risk to consumers um, that we need to act on. And therefore, manufacturers and retailers in Australia must recall these products. They have no choice in doing that. Um, and if they didn't, there were serious penalties involved as part of that program. Um, recall programs are not simple not simple in their execution. There's a lot involved. Um, we talk about different things in, in practice. You, you, there's your identification of what the problem is. There's recall communication action plans. There's long-term strategies around recalls. Um, and a really important part of this mandatory recall program was its communications plans. So there's one set at the recall level and then each of the manufacturers and the retailers have their own. Um, and for the case of Mercedes, so Mercedes was an impacted retailer. Um, there were a couple of different classes of airbags that were being recalled and Mercedes airbags weren't the most serious risk category. They, there was concerns about the airbags, um, but there was like two types. I think it was alpha and beta and the alpha ones, the ones that were linked directly to deaths, whereas the beta weren't so bad, um, but were still needing to be recalled because there was still a serious risk. So um, they were still important, but it's important to, to bear that in mind for the later discussion. So, as part of the, the communications plan, um, it was important the government set the mandate. It was important that retailers understood that they weren't allowed to use phrasing that would minimise risk. They needed to use impactful terms, things like there is a risk that your airbags could kill you or and that the recall was urgent. And so if you started to use minimising phrasing in communications, you know, if you get that recall notice in the mail that goes, oh, we've got a problem with your airbags. They might hurt you, but you know, it's mostly safe. Just keep doing your thing. You're not likely to act on it pretty quickly, are you, Joel? Yeah, like tinsy wincy drama, guys. This is where you really, this is where you shift the marketing department out of the uh, conference room, I think, isn't it? Yeah, and when you've got a government mandated requirement to use strong and impactful language, I think it's important to use it. You know, I, I get that there's reputational risks things to worry about, but you also you want to be you want to be sure you're doing the right thing. Um, and so, as part of the program, Mercedes did issue a lot of those notices in that strong phrasing. Um, but it turns out that the the ACCC commenced an action against Mercedes in 2021, um, essentially saying that well you weren't using this strong impactful language in every single circumstance. There were cases where it wasn't happening. Mercedes were issuing lots of notices to customers. They were sending out emails. They were sending out letters. Um, they had marketing material out going. Essentially, you need to replace your airbags. They could kill you. So that's really hitting that important, really high level standard here. And that's really important. Um, 
But what actually was happening in practice as well, though, is that the customer service team probably weren't sticking to the same script. Um, they were use, they, they tended to use some minimizing language. So when customers would reach out or they would be called by Mercedes, um, sometimes they were telling customers things like, your cars are safe to drive. Um, there were no injuries or deaths linked to their particular recall, which is not entirely true. Um, and that the recall was only a precaution. Like, there's nothing to worry about. We're just doing this because it's a good thing for you. Um, and an example, I think, actually taken from the pleadings was um, a customer service person had said to a customer, um, we've not actually had any problems with our airbags, but we are recalling them for customer peace of mind anyway. Now, that really takes away from that mandatory, like, we're going, you might die if you don't replace this language. I think if, 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 a, if a retailer was telling me this, I'd probably put the inconvenience of taking my car to a service center on the back burner. Well, I mean, in a previous episode, you said you haven't serviced your vehicle in three years. So, I, I yeah, that checks out, Lisk. I reckon you would have left it. I'm just thinking, though, like, I can appreciate the difficulty of trying to get, you know, a whole call center on board with the same line of professionalism. I mean, we, we know all about that of different levels of professional wording uh, coming out from one brand. Um wouldn't be the first time you've had to censor my content that I've drafted. Oh, definitely. Like you, you've got your corporate line and then you've got your actual line <laughs> or your individual employee's line. In your case, you've got your own line and I have no idea where that's going. <laughs> Just a random Gregor tangent. So, how did it all go down from there? So, what ended up happening is that Mercedes realized what was going on. Well, after they were served with a legal proceeding, they realized what was going on and admitted contravening um, the ACL. In particular, they admitted contravening the provisions and requirements of a mandatory recall notice. Um, The facts at hand suggested that the minimizing language that was used in the call centers was more about employee conduct um, and not necessarily about the the kind of institutional guidelines. So, you know, you've got your communications action plan for the recall that says you're going to say these things, your written communication adheres to that. but then your call center deviates a little bit because it's, you know, they're there about making customers happy. They don't want to scare everyone. Um, so they started to use minimizing practices. But it's important to realize here, of course, that the corporate entity is responsible for its employees' conduct. There's, there's no real massive way around that. So um, ultimately, Mercedes agreed. They submitted um, joint submissions, I think it was, on penalties. They essentially said, we did the wrong thing, fine us. Um, and the court obliged. Um, Mercedes ended up paying a, a $12.5 million penalty in this case. Um, I think on the basis of an agreement that, oh, I can't remember what it was now. Uh, it was only a half dozen of agreed or a dozen agreed um, breaches. So I think the HBC pleaded 73 occasions. Mercedes didn't agree to every single one of them, but they agreed to a vast majority, which was enough for the HBC. Um, and so they ended up paying $12 million, uh, $12.5 million fine um, and entering into, I don't know if we've talked about it too much uh, during the podcast season so far, but entered into an enforceable undertaking. Um, so essentially a contract with the HCC that included a compliance plan um, to really nail down what's going on to make sure that in the future, they didn't end up using any of that minimizing language. But I think by the time the action happened, um, the majority of the, the, the recall process had started to happen. Um, and I think if you've got airbags or these particular airbags at this point and you're in the danger categories, um, your car is essentially deemed to be unroadworthy now until it's been replaced. So 
Um, I don't even think you can have your re registration renewed in some categories if you've got the airbag still. But so there's a lot to think about here. And um, ultimately, it's a significant price to pay for using language that essentially makes the customer happy, but at the risk of making them happy while they're incredibly unsafe in their own car. Yeah, I was going to say the takeaway for me seems to be sometimes you do need to scare your customers and it's a cost of $12.5 million if you don't. Well, you're either scaring your customers or you're scaring your shareholders. And I think in this case, they've ended up with a bit of both. <laughs> Lovely. Thanks, Lisk. What other takeaways are they? I think the, the one takeaway for me is product safety in Australia is incredibly important. Um, I know I've talked to clients previously about product safety and you know it's, it takes a little bit sometimes to sink the seriousness to sink in but it's it is incredibly important that that you consider these matters um no one wants to buy a product that could kill them i think that's the important takeaway here um yes there are some products that are inherently dangerous i don't think you won't recall a knife because there's a potential misuse that you'll cut your finger off in the kitchen but um there are a lot of products that are innocuous and you'd think are perfectly safe but if they've got something wrong with them are deadly so that's incredibly important to think about it um the law in this area considers these things seriously um and it's important for retailers and manufacturers to take their um to take their obligations at law incredibly seriously here ah uh, thank you again for joining us for episode 12 as always, thank you to the Law Foundation of South Australia for supporting us uh, for season one of this show. If you want to catch up on any of the previous episodes, go to where you find your podcast, where you're listening to this one now, probably even. Uh, you can find us on the socials. We have Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, Lisk. Do we have feeds? Threads, I think, is what you want to call oh, it. Threads. <laughs> uh, yeah. So clearly, I'm a bit delighted. This one not feeds. Threads. Do we have threads, Lisk? Um, like because I, I yes, I, I don't want to use it though. Like, Lisk, are we going to use threads or feeds? Like I barely use Twitter. Uh, we barely use Twitter. Like I, I you, think I, I was going to say if you follow us on on thread, wait, on threads, <laughs> not feeds. Stop confusing me. If you follow us on threads. And there's enough of you following us on threads, I'll use it. But I probably won't because it's it's just another social network I don't need to see. I'm, I'm still waiting for Liz to be doing dances on TikTok. I think that's how we're going to go with promoting the show from here on. Uh, right, what are we talking about next week, Liz? Oh, wait, I'm talking next week. We, had, oh, we are talking AMI, the Advanced Medical Institute and all things about um, uh, failing performance and failing prescriptions. So look forward to no speaking spoilers. about that one then. No spoilers. no spoilers. No spoilers. No spoilers. Oh, I think everything there was a bit spoilt. <laughs> uh, if you don't remember the Advanced Medical uh, Institute adverts, you will get that joke next week. Uh, next fortnight. fortnight. I keep forgetting this is a fortnightly show, don't I? Cool. Well, on that note, Lisk, I'm going to stop rambling. See you later. Catch up. This is, this is the problem with it not being in person is I can't look at you and go, what the f*** are you talking about?